0: Hello and welcome my partners in crime and welcome back to another true crime case. Now this is solved really and you'll find out after how, but um, yeah it's a solved case, it's an interesting case. It's going to start some debate and I hope it does, but we're really talking about this case in um, different ways. Alright, it's going to bring out some emotions I would say in people. Because I've named it the vigilante paedophile killer now I've named it that because exactly that's what he was exactly what he was and um, Stephen A Marshall because we have a Stephen Marshall and the other killer this Stephen Marshall uh, is um, in a USA case and um, that's really what he did so before we carry on with this case would you like to subscribe you can hit the like button you can hit the notification bell button and I want to dedicate this case because as you know I've just started my new super thanks and the first person to do that was punky Brewster 83 so I'm going to donate this uh, donate I'm going to um, dedicate this um, video to her and and we've had more And um, people donate and I'm so grateful for that I really am so I just wanted to mention you um, and thank you for your first super thanks donation I really really appreciate it so let's get on to this case so as I've said this is the vigilante paedophile killer um, and Stephen Marshall really he was this 20 year old and um, he's um, I think when you talk about this case in a, in a way it, it is going to be emotional there is there is going to be some responses of oh yes he's done great and this that and the other no he hasn't But there's more to that we can't incite people to take the law into their own hands it just doesn't work Stephen Marshall was his 20 year old his background really was from not a bad family home at all Um there was some um, movement from Canada to different states and stuff like this and then back to the US and stuff where this case took place. This case um, and these murders were taking place in Maine in um, the USA where he was visiting his father. So his life was good in a way I suppose you could say um, no one has said that there was any abuse or anything else or any sexual abuse that may have made him go after um, paedophiles in such a way but um, I think when we look at what was found after his arrest should I say we can see that his state of mind may not have been in the right place anyway and sometimes we have to look now when we look at this you know how these sex offenders registers really can result in vigilante murders you know sooner or later it was going to happen it probably won't be the last one to tell you the truth um, and so we're going to talk about the registers themselves we're going to talk about whether you think the registers are of the right thing to do to be put out there in public now I totally know in Canada they're not and I think in this country you can look there's certain ways you can go around it but in America they are open right so he didn't hack into any systems Stephen Marshall to find the names of these predators. He didn't. He went on uh, an open website which lists everything. It lists their age, who they are, where they work, any distinguishing marks all this sort of stuff. Everything you would need to know about this person you could find from these open registers. Now, this is where this case is going to um, really cause con- controversy I think because some people agree that this is the right thing to do is to put these names out there to c- protect the public and the children in this area of where these um, perpetrators live and others believe that they shouldn't because the privacy laws and you are um, putting out and these sort of details of these people that then something like this can happen to them right so you have both sides also you may have people getting injured who are not what you think they are and they could be innocent bystanders or other things like this what could happen right so you have two sides to the story here and i'm going to leave it up to you to what side you're on should they be public should they not why not why should they be do you see what i mean so um I think with this case, yeah, it is an eye-opening case really, but, but it does happen. It does happen. So anyway, let's get on with it. So this is Stephen A. a Marshall's case, and he was born on the 9th of August, at 1985, and he died, right, on the 16th of April, 2006. So this is what I said to you, when this is a solved case, it is. It's a bit of a twist to it. So he was an American-Canadian vigilante. Uh, who searched public available sex offenders registers in the United States for the names and addresses of convicted sex offenders uh, before travelling to Maine um, into the northeastern United States and murdered two people. Now, yes, he did murder two people um, on that night, but also at that same time he had knocked on about three or four other doors of um, people on this register, but they didn't answer or they wasn't in. And that's what saved their life so his list was of about I think um, 29 people on his list uh, that he had a hit list and that he was going to go through that hit list and uh, he got to two of them so um, he was born in Fort Worth Texas so and then I think he moved then over to Canada Nova Scotia I think in Canada he lived um, in 1999, Marshall moved to Idaho with his father Ralph, uh, who was a serve in mayor there. So he was, you know, that's what I'm saying. His family, he didn't have a bad upbringing. On the out, he just didn't. There was no history what they knew of of um, sexual abuse, and we don't know um, if there was really because boys don't always say. Well, kids don't always say if there was um from anyone else but in the family no it didn't seem there was he because he took his own life in 2006 um, before anyone could question him over what he'd done and why he'd done it it's all assumptions so it is said that he didn't have any history of being sexually abused as a child but really that's other people saying that we don't know because he was never said and, and never did say and now can no longer say so that's open I would say but there was something wasn't there that made him do these crimes that made this young lad really go out of his way to kill to look at this website and to tell you the truth I'm telling you you now he weren't the only one looking at this website but he was the only one at this point that acted upon it of what he saw he made his list and he was determined that these people were going to die. So, in um, I think in 2001, I think when he was 15, he was charged with, I think it was aggravated assault. Now, he brought onto his lawn, so outside into the public, um, an AR-15 rifle, right? where well, there was two young lads fighting and he brought this rifle out and sort of, not threatened them, but I think he'd done it to shock. done it to say stop fighting I've got this rifle and um, that's why he was charged with that so we don't know whether he had any thoughts of using it I think with him it was mainly the shock value of it he's come out onto his lawn you've got these people fighting he's come out onto his lawn with his gun that fighting soon stopped but he was then done for aggravated assault with that rifle Um, now then his father I think um, went to live in Arizona and then later moved to, to Maine, this is where he was visiting his father on that night and we'll go into that night's details in a minute. And why his father was there and his mother lived in, um, I think Cape Burton or um, Breton, um, he did attempt at one point to enlist in the army but he was rejected because of his asthma. Now there's a lot of issues now when we talk about this lad, when you think about this lad who's gone on to do this only a few years later he's gone to go in the army <clears throat> now he may he was obviously fascinated with guns uh, he liked guns and in texas and 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 different states you know you can buy guns and at 15 he shouldn't have had this gun or been in any way able to get this gun and that comes down then, I think, to the parents, doesn't it, really, when you think about it? That they need to be locked up and stuff like this in cabinets so these kids can't get to them. But then he wanted to join the army and he was rejected from that. So there's another rejection. So we've had the mother and father split up in the 90s, I think, 98, they split up. So a lot of kids do think it's their fault, even though their relationship was quite good and he spent time between his mother's and his father's, so his mother in Canada and his father in in the US. Then he's gone to join the army, another rejection, isn't it, really? You know, from asthma, something that you can't do, but you have to think, why did he want to join the army? Did he want to join the army because he felt that he would be able to belong to something then, really? And his fascination with guns would be fulfilled, you know? And uh, he might get to kill people. You know, these are what thoughts maybe have gone through his head. But once that rejection come, then that was it. Then what? You know, now what? I'm going between you know America and Canada and this, that, and the other. I can't even join the army. I think there was a little bit of depression or something that would have set in there. And I think by what comes out later um, after his death, you can see that there was some. Um, I would say that there were some mental health issues uh, along with that, definitely, um, with him leading up to that time and it probably wasn't noticed, I don't think. I think he just got through life and um, people are busy aren't they, you know, especially when you're living between two houses, you may be doing something somewhere, the mother's not going to know and the father's not going to know, you're going to do it there. I think he sort of slipped through a little bit. That's my feeling with Stephen Marshall, is that he, he just blended in and he, he didn't like it. I think he wanted more out of life. And um, I think once he come upon then this website that you could, you know, this database, it'd give him a purpose, you know, in his mind. That's now what he was going to do. So on the list, this list when he started looking, at what he was looking at, the areas he was looking at, there was 34 sex offenders on this list in this local area and he took down 29 names and all their information about that and started then to compile his kill list, that's what he did and I'm telling you now, this boy wanted to kill all 29, he wasn't going to leave any alive he was made up his mind, that's what he was going to do So let's now turn to the night of these, how it started, these murders really. So it was Easter Sunday, 2006, this happened. And um, (laughs) he had, he was a dishwasher, I think in Nova Scotia. So he he had menial jobs, right? As I said, he couldn't get in the army. So he's in this car, this dishwasher, that's all he was, um, menial jobs. He was a dishwasher, he was coming from Nova Scotia, he had gone to visit his father who lived in Maine on this Easter Sunday 2006. Three um, guns by his side and his laptop with these, I think he had 34 names on there but he had 29 in detail. 29 in detail, every detail about these people. This now, this boy was now on the killing trap he was about to start, so it was pre-planned, pre-meditated. It was premeditated. So we're having to look at this Stephen Marshall, right, so he hadn't seen his father in quite a while, he was this 20-year-old, he was driving now from his home in Canada on this rare visit to his father who lived in Maine. When he got there, I think his car had broken down, something had happened and he'd spoke to his father and everything, the father had gone to bed, but the father didn't realise that he'd taken his truck, right? He'd Then once he'd waited for that father to go to sleep, and he'd took that truck. And the other thing that you've got to think about is the list that he was looking at, this sex offenders register list, was for the United States, was for the area of Maine. They're the names that he'd wrote down, because in Canada, they can't get access to that. It's not like that in Canada. So this rare visit I think was pre-planned. He was going to see his father as a ruse to kill 29 people because these were detailed lists that this man had. Detailed lists and he knew But Easter Sunday is relevant here. It's really a relevant day but that's when he took that father's car once that man went to sleep. He got in his car with three guns in that truck with three guns by his side and his laptop and he set off then on his killing rampage and i think also by the way he didn't leave through the front door right he then to get once he didn't want to wake his father he didn't want any confrontation with his father he knew what he was going to do so he slipped out the window at about 3am in the morning so this was early hours now of um, Easter Sunday 2006, when this boy now is in the car, he's now heading towards his first victim. And I think that was around, um, well, his first stop was about two hours southwest of the town of Milo in Maine. And 50 year old Joseph Gray was asleep um, in his living room. He'd been, I think, watching forensic files and uh, with his wife and she was woken by the sound of the dogs barking and stuff like this and um, he was um, shot and um, through the living room window so it's just like you know and I think she just stood helpless because I mean this, he knew everything about these people he knew they had family he knew where they lived he knew their addresses everything the descriptions what the man looks like so that was the day really and the time about just after 3, 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning that the first victim, this was this Gary, um, Joseph uh, Gray, sorry, was murdered by him. Then he gets in his car and off he goes and uh, speeds off onto the next one on his list. But he had gone to a few more, as I've said in the beginning, that didn't answer the door that he couldn't find that wasn't there and they had lucky escape really because he would have killed them as well so this was from 3 a.m. he'd left the fathers He drove a couple of hours killed then um, Joseph Gray then he'd then reached a few other houses nothing about four they think he'd, he'd gone to couldn't kill them and about eight o'clock then he'd reached now his second victim now 24 year old William Elliot. He answered the door with his mobile from in his mobile home, uh, and this was in Coferth uh, in May in Maine. Um Marshall knocked on the door actually, and he opened the door, and that was it. Marshall just shot him, and uh, he really fell to the ground. And I think he shot him a few times. And um, he had a girlfriend living there with him, and as Marshall drove off, she took the registration plate. Of, you know his number plate and uh, called belief, uh, police. So uh, that was it, Gray and Elliot were then the two victims of this list that he would actually got to. Now this list held the actual whole list of the 38 and then the 29 that he took out held around 2,200 names on it of Maine's um, online sex offenders register right in 2006 2,200 in this area. So, for someone like Stephen Marshall, a vigilante, what he wants to be called, or he sort of believed he was, a killer of paedophiles, you know, this boy could have done some damage. And I don't know why he honed in on just 29. It's not really clear why them 29 stood out to him out of 2200 so I do believe that maybe something had happened to him when he was younger which no one knows about because it was specific sort of people the look people that he was after do you see what I mean to take out from you know 2029 20, out of well 34 but then only really detailed 29 out 2200 paedophiles within this area there's a reason why he's specifically gone for that 29 isn't it really it's quite clear because the list was so random when you think about it he could have just gone from one of uh, two two thousand two hundred couldn't he but he didn't he's he thought about it he made his list the planning was there he enjoyed that planning he thought about what he was going to do how he was going to do it To these 29 individuals that he singled out as the people that he wanted to kill. So let's talk about this register right this register um, was the state government's most popular website, the most popular website at that point in 2006. These people with 2,200 names on it was the most popular website for hits so when I say that Stephen Marshall wasn't the only one looking, it had about 40,000 hits per day, per day, which would have told you everything about every paedophile in this area. These 2,200 names on this register, they were there for a reason, and um, there were sex offenders and different things, so it wasn't just paedophiles, right, and we'll look at some of these cases, but. You know there's some things what's happened from this and i mean it, it it's up there and it tells you everything identifying you know your address where you worked it, you, you know um and this is what he went through so i do think it was specific these 29 there was for a reason but as i said he wasn't the only one looking 40,000 hits per day so anyway we're talking you know we're, let's get back to this case now really and what's happened after this so we've just said that the girlfriend has now took his uh, registration plate number so now the police know who they're looking for, don't they? His truck then, he, I think he abandons the truck and then he jumps on a local bus, he takes his, I think he leaves the, uh, two of the guns and takes a gun, he also takes his laptop, he gets on the bus, he sits at the back of the bus, the police are now chasing him, they know he's, he, you know who he is, he knows they know, he knows he's being chased He takes the gun out, puts the gun under his chin and shoots himself and kills himself. So this is what I mean. We can't ask him why. We can only, you know, think or have theories of why. And when you look at, this is why I'm saying it's so important on the day, Easter Sunday, because what they found then on his computer was images, drawings, of God with, you know, guns and machine guns and different things knocking on people's door. I think Stephen Marshall, Stephen A. Marshall, this young lad, this 20-year-old dishwasher from Nova Scotia area, who traveled to Maine to see his father, right? Had some, you you know, did he believe he I do believe he had mental health does he believe that he was doing God's will because of the day it happened and because of then this you know these drawings and stuff that he had done and he had him on his laptop of a godlike figure standing at the door you know that could be one theory couldn't it But, but we don't know we don't know do we we do know though that throughout his life his young life he felt I think, a bit, um, you know, when he couldn't be in the army and stuff, he was a bit rejected. He was doing a very menial job that he thought may have been menial. Lots of people do dishwashing jobs because they like what they're doing. And they usually start off, especially in your, you know, 1920s, you are, um, you know, working these menial jobs as you work your way up in life and through your education. I think that got to him. As I said, he did have a relationship with his father. He did, but he didn't have um, a close relationship towards the end. He hadn't seen him in a while. He knew this database. He found this database that only could be accessed, um, and that you know all this detail could be found in um, America. And he, of course, he was an American Canadian American Canadian. He was born in Texas, so he could come freely. Come and go as freely as he wanted which he did so he planned this this was a pre-planned attack but why right but why many people don't like paedophiles most people don't like paedophiles don't like sex offenders we don't like them right we don't want them in our society we don't need them near our children we all agree on that right um you know most people do but you don't go out do you and take the law into our own hands and start to kill them You just don't, especially at 20. So what made him think to do that? That's the question. And unfortunately, that question cannot be answered because he took his own life at the end of it. He took his own life. Was he always planning to kill these 29 and take his own life? Probably, I would say, probably, because he knew what was going to happen to him. He would have spent the rest of his life in prison for doing this. But you know the young twenty four year old Elliot, the younger one that he murdered, the second victim that he murdered, was on the sex offender's register, but he didn't abuse very young children. He had he was twenty four year old and he had a girlfriend that was fifteen year old and they had been together quite a while, but they'd waited to do anything but just two weeks before her sixteenth birthday, they had slept together they had had a relationship together. Her father found out, which is fair enough because she was underage and that's the law. And of course, he had gone to court and he'd been put on then the sex offenders register. And that's the person out of the 2,200 people that he chose to do that to. But did he know that? Probably he knew that. But he took the life of that man as well. That girl, though, was under 16. They only had to wait two more weeks and there would have been no breach in the law at all. He wouldn't have broke the law at all. The other one, yes, had um, was an abuser of um, girls under the age of 14 or a girl under the age of 14. That's different. He was also 57 at the time and the other one's on his list. We could only imagine, can't we, of what they had done. So that's why I'm saying to you Easter Sunday was relevant because of what was found on his laptop after he killed himself and it's so difficult isn't it to put together really why fear is the one thing but re- we really never know was he abused as a child we don't know we don't know did he have mental health probably probably but not necessarily really we don't know he was never diagnosed with anything and we couldn't then assess him because again he took his own life Why did he choose just a 29? Pacific, then Pacific, we don't know, we can't find out. So this is a strange case really, this one, but it shows you sometimes that when we take the law into our own hands, it's not a good thing really, you know, because sometimes people get it wrong. And I'm going to tell you about a few scenarios now of of different cases where this has gone wrong. So we have these registers and I think several jurisdictions across uh, North America, Sex Offenders Register laws are branded like names of Christopher's Law and Megan's Law. Now Christopher Stevens was uh, the namesake of the um, Ontario um, Sex Offender Register and it was the first um, in Canada in 1988 I think, an 11 year old, he was 11. was kidnapped and sexually assaulted and murdered um, by a convicted paedophile who was out of prison on statutory release so this then starts this list coming out and about okay because Christopher had had been kept alive for 36 hours before he was killed it was believed that a database convicting sex offenders could have helped find him before you know he was murdered well uh yeah, I, I it could have. But in 1993, the coroner's uh, inquest into the death recommended that um, starting one of a national scale, this would happen in December 2004 and three years after the Ontario launched their register. Um, unlike those in the United States, it remained hidden from public view. So that's what I'm saying. In Canada, even though they have sex offenders registers, which agencies can look at and police would know about the public wouldn't we're in United States that's totally different okay so we have now different groups because when you have registers that are not to public view people want to know what's happening in their area so you have now different groups and I think it was the St John's based group and they were called the sexual abuse network of Canada and they created their own sort of register really uh, for people to look at, um, and they would look at all the local news reports, this, that, and the other, to, and t- to compile their own list and put that out there. And um, there was like um, on Facebook groups, different stuff, websites, and that, naming people and stuff like that. But you have to be so careful that you are getting your details right when you do these sort of things. So, um, that was sort of one of them that really stood out and actually it's a really good article and I'll link this article in there about the different crimes that's come out of going doing this and coming and looking for paedophiles you know we have paedophile hunters everywhere don't we and entrapments and stuff you're trying to entrap entrap them and, and you, you know it's it's not entrapment if they you know they've come to visit a, a a child right it goes on a lot now we have a lot of private people and um, we have a lot of YouTubers actually doing it that sort of stuff because people are so frustrated aren't they with um, our laws I think especially in the UK on how we manage um, you know paedophilia and um, and also how we can stop it so you're always going to have these sort of groups that are going to try and not they, you know, they're within the law without the doubt they're certainly within the law and they stick within the law because they want these people prosecuted. They are not vigilantes they want these people named and shamed and put in prison that's what they do vigilantism isn't good because in the end you know if you get it wrong you, you've hurt someone that you shouldn't have too though you've damaged your life the life of your family for something really that you can't really do nothing about to see what i mean you the, the damage that you would create yourself and others in doing vigilantism um, isn't great I'd like your opinion on that. Um, This is open debate here really on this case because everyone is going to have very strong opinions on that and I know that and I'm very interested in what you've got to say. So, listen, in the United States, listen, you're going to have these registers that are open. So, you're going to have people that are harassing these people. Of course you are. They're going to be harassing and there's harassment campaigns and it even gets as bad as homicides, okay? It really does. It goes from the extreme because people feel extremely um, deep about these issues and some people, you know, who can't understand why this is going on, feel a great need to protect the children in society from this so you, can, I, I can get that, I get that but um, I think um, this Michael uh, Dudow I think his name is in 2007, Ivan Garcia, um, Oliver uh, spread the word amongst his neighbours in, um, in Lake County California um, in a trailer park that he had discovered something shocking about this Michael. Uh, one of their new neighbours, uh, and it was on the state offenders website. So Oliver feared for the safety of his um, young son, and Michael's um, listing uh, listing licensed him. It included the offence of rape by force, oral <laughs> rape, and a person under the age of 14 by force. Right now. Michael had only been out of prison for 35 days this is what it's saying and um, this Oliver came over and literally stabbed him to death he stabbed him um, literally to death through the intention to protect Oliver's son from this man and it was le- it learned later that his crimes were against women well his crimes were against women right but it sort of said that the person was under the age of 14 and was forced. So you're on a sex offender's register for different things but this is what I'm saying this neighbour becomes so concerned about his child, this, and this man couldn't sleep, he just, he, all he thought about this man is going to hurt my child and then he took the law into his own hands and he killed him. It turns out that the man didn't have any interest in boys at all. But. Um, it's a sort of another case but you know this poor man now one's dead and you've got now another one whose son he was so worried about is now left without a father the consequences for doing these things yourself is not good someone always going to lose here you may have taken a predator off the streets but you're now in prison with plenty more of them and your son now is left without a father that's what you've got to be thinking when we talk about vigilantism, there's always going to be a loss, everywhere, and especially to the person who is the vigilante, there really is, and that's whether it's a loss of your life, like Stephen who took his own life, or the loss of your liberty, where then your family are left to fend for themselves. It's never a good thing to take the law into your own hands, it really isn't. There's plenty of legal ways that you can go about taking these people off the streets plenty of ways you don't need to do that at all so listen thanks for watching I hope you enjoyed this case I know it's going to start a little bit of you know discussion and I hope it does I hope that you um, leave comments and um, talk amongst yourself it's really good I've put a lot of stuff on the community page for you anyway so you can see what's going on there but in one way I do feel sorry for um, you know, Marshall, I do. He's a young lad. He was probably suffering at some form of mental health where it ended in him taking his own life and the lives of others. It's a very sad case all round, really, isn't it? But I want to know what you think about these registers and whether you think you agree with them or you don't agree with them. I'd like to know what you think. It'd be really good. So, thanks for watching. Until the next time, bye-bye.